And a good Sunday morning. Good morning, Sunday morning to everybody. Welcome back to Aggregate Latte. I'm your host, Ricky Leone, accompanied once again by B minus. Say hi, B minus. B minus, that's hi. On the chopping block today is the Biden email scandal, the Hunter Biden email scandal. Breaking news from the New York Post. October 14th, 2020 at 5 a.m. Don't know whose time, probably Eastern time. The New York Post releases an article. Smoking gun email reveals how Hunter Biden introduced Ukrainian businessmen to VP dad. Just what Trump has been talking about is Hunter Biden randomly becoming one of the board members of a Ukrainian oil company only after his dad becomes vice president of the United States. Very suspicious, one would say. Not according to Biden, even though after his dishonorable discharge from the military, uh, his rampant drug issues, amongst other things, all of a sudden, somebody with such a past and relatively zero management experience lands a position on the board of a massive oil company? Let's find out. It says that Hunter Biden introduced his father to top executive at a Ukraine energy firm less than a year before Joe Biden pressured government officials in Ukraine into firing a prosecutor who was investigating the company, according to emails obtained by the New York Post. So this all happened because somebody left a laptop at a computer repair store in Delaware and just left it, never picked it up. So the owner of this repair store in April of 2019 saw this water-damaged MacBook Pro and repaired it, but who, whomever brought it in didn't pay for the repair and didn't come to pick it up. So as he was looking through some of the stuff on the laptop, he saw all of these emails and he gave it over to the FBI. The FBI has had it since December of 2019. They've been holding on to it the whole time. That's a pretty interesting point. Like, you know, it, it, it doesn't really seem like the FBI is on the same page as the Office of the President, but how uh, how is it that the NY Post gets access to from the FBI, and why has the FBI been holding on to this without taking any sort of action? Or is the information incriminating, or is it not? Why, why does there seem to be a disconnect? This information obviously means something to somebody. Is it real, or is it fake? Those seem to put up a lot of questions for me. Absolutely. So so here's the thing. The FBI didn't release it. The shop owner cloned the hard drive before he gave it to the FBI, and he gave it to Rudy Giuliani's lawyer, Robert Costello, who then gave it to Rudy Giuliani, who then gave it to the New York Post. The FBI actually didn't release any of this information to anybody in media. It was all because this guy cloned the hard drive and sent the files off to pro-Trump people. And we're certain that the FBI has this. Is there you know, information from the FBI that's stating that, or is that from New York Post? Like, who's stating that they do have it? The New York Post article includes a picture of a document, which is a federal subpoena showing the computer and a hard drive were seized by the FBI. Oh, yeah, one of the things that was extracted from the computer was, like, a 12-minute video that shows Hunter Biden fucking smoking crack while having sex with a woman. Is that made public as well, or is that just a legend? I think it's just a legend. I'm not entirely sure. The New York Post has another article that's titled Inside the Life of Hunter Biden, but I'm pretty sure they wouldn't release the sex tape. I feel like with that kind of stuff, they should have to dump the entire contents of that hard drive onto the internet, um, you know, through torrents or whatever. Like, 
I guess that there's probably some sort of privacy law that's they would probably categorize that as revenge porn or whatever. But I think that you know if there's some something this serious, this alleged, it should be public knowledge. Like everything should be accessible to the public for the public to determine. Hey, if this is right or wrong, and not just you know accusations that we can't really validate on our own. That's very true. However, um, I don't know if any of this information would be considered classified since they're in the middle of an investigation. Uh, so the other interesting thing that I thought about is it just it seems pretty sketchy to me, uh, especially with Biden's past, because Biden is always constantly going against traditional energy sources, oil, coal, that his son would randomly be the uh, advisor to or a chairman to an, a foreign oil company like that really doesn't make a lot of sense to me because it's not something you just you know not, not a normal person would just go out and be like oh well you know i'm part of this massive oil company in a foreign country that that to me is not a normal thing it doesn't seem like it'd be normal for another country to just randomly offer somebody that position especially with without any sort of you know background or history that would say hey i'm knowledgeable about oil and and these these different energy sources it seems really strange to me that he would have that position in the first place whether or not that it was his father who got in that position that just it doesn't seem right that seems off so the one thing that kind of caught my eye here in this article, they have a quote from Joe Biden in, in Ukraine from uh, December 2015. And so, like I mentioned earlier, they were trying to pressure the Ukrainian president to fire, I think it was like some kind of prosecutor. Yeah, a prosecutor general. Who was investigating that company. Yeah. yeah, they were investigating that company. But but here's the thing. They tried to pressure him, the president to do this by threatening to withhold $1 billion in U.S. loan guarantees during this trip. He said in an interview in 2018 to the Council on Foreign Relations, Joe Biden said, I looked up at them and said, I'm leaving in six hours. If the prosecutor's not fired, you're not getting the money. That kind of sounds like quid pro quo to me. Why did nobody brought that up? So what does it say he was there for this aid money or what specifically was his whole visit there in the first place? And this is while he was vice president or? This was December 2015. He was still vice president 2015. It looks like maybe he was giving a speech at the Ukrainian parliament. There's a video of it from December 8th, 2015. What is this quote from uh, that he said this? Like this is another speech or this is actually him talking? It looks like he was speaking to the Council on Foreign Relations in 2018, where, where he said this quote that the New York Post has in their article. That seems really interesting to me. It just, I don't know, the whole situation seems pretty sketchy. It doesn't, it's not a normal job that you just take on. And, he, and uh, according to some sources, he's getting paid $50,000 a month to just sit on this board. He's not uh, apparently doing anything. It's just a publicity stunt to, to have him on this board. You know, it, it doesn't really make any sense that they would just be like, well, we want to have Biden's son sit on our board for advertisement. Well, here's the thing, too, because I think it's a little bit more than that. I don't think they did it for advertisement necessarily. I believe they did it because of his relation to Joe Biden. There's a quote in one of the emails that is supposedly from Pozarski, and it says to Hunter Biden, we urgently need your advice on how you could use your influence to convey a message slash signal, etc., to stop what we consider to be politically motivated actions. So they're trying to use whatever influence that Hunter Biden has as the vice president's son to to influence people in one way or another politically in Ukraine. 
So, and, and people love to bring up corrupt politicians, but wouldn't that make Biden, you know, by default corrupt? Because he has a son working with, a, you know, a foreign company, and now he's an asset. The vice president of the United States is an asset to some other country to stop whatever they, they feel is a threat to their money. That seems corrupt to me. That, that really, like, shouldn't happen, you know, because... Anybody who has any foreign ties is practically automatically disqualified from being president. And I know he wasn't president, but still, you got the second family getting involved in, in business affairs overseas. It creates a huge, huge opportunity for conflict of interest. And it sounds like this is exactly what it was. This seems very interesting, and, it, and it's big enough that basically everybody's done a piece on it. Everybody's got their different take on what's going on here. There's some stuff that's saying that uh, a third party has confirmed these emails are true, that the information within them is true. Uh, you know, I, I would really like to see what comes of this, because I know Trump alluded in the past that he had this information in the past or some other information that, you know, stated the same thing. Like, is there going to be some charges? Like, what what are the total overall implications of this? It, it would seem to me that Biden's presidency should just be like, you know, he, he can't run for president at this point. It's obvious that he is corrupt in that regard or he is not above bribery. <laughs> I mean, it, it kind of sounds like it, but I don't know. I don't think anything will come of it. He's like the poster boy of the radical left, even even though he's not a radical in most ways. He certainly doesn't strongly align with other radicals like AOC and the, the Furious Five. So I don't know. Maybe after the election, depending on what happens, if the Republicans win the presidency and the House and the Senate, maybe they would try to indict him somehow. Or if even if he gets elected and Republicans take over the House and the Senate, maybe they'll try to impeach him, just like what the Democrats did to Trump. So the story that was apparently confirming the emails, that was from Fox News. They said that they spoke to somebody who was CC'd in the email, and they corroborated that it was true, uh, that they were legitimate emails. I can't see anything indicating any sort of forensic investigation. I, just knowing how liberal a lot of these companies are, that they specifically side with liberal policies, I doubt that Google would, you know, step up and be like, yeah, these are your real emails and they belong to such and such. Here's the IP addresses associated with them. You know, I, I'd also like to see, you know, who the laptop supposedly belonged to. You know, they, they say these are Hunter Biden's emails and it's his laptop, right? But is it tied to, you know, some specific email that we can prove he holds? Or can we see the, the serial or model number was actually belonging to him that he purchased it from Apple? I, like, I'd really like to see that kind of stuff. So the, the main thing that they're trying to link Hunter Biden to as far as the laptop is that it has a sticker from the Bo Biden Foundation, which is his, you know, his his dead brother, uh, Bo Biden, who was a former Delaware attorney general. So this is all a sticker that his brother was part of. I, I don't know. That It seems sort of shaky in that regard. So there's, there's a lot of questions, I guess, that are still being asked about this. You know, the big question I have is... It, it does often seem like the FBI is not really working with Trump. You know, it seems like they're against him. Um, and I do wonder if they have a case, you know, they have information that shows who this laptop belonged to, uh, what was, you know, going on here. I'd like to see more of that. And I think that the FBI needs to be transparent. It often seems like the FBI is this giant black box, just like the NSA was, or is that you can't really see into and somehow mysteriously holds all this information. It seems like the FBI is going backwards. 
similar to the days of uh, J. Edgar Hoover, where they just have these dossiers on people and they can do some severe damage and they're aligned with political parties. That It doesn't really seem like that's a, a good thing for our country to have. Basically like an NSS or uh, the Kremlin all over again. The other thing that is connected to Hunter Biden is the receiving email. So it's a corporate email that supposedly belongs to Hunter Biden. So the email address of Hunter Biden is hbiden at rosemontseneca.com. So here's another interesting thing I'm seeing a lot of is everybody switched over to this fact check, fact check, and it's... You know, it's the same news articles that we were, you know, hearing just a few a few years ago are uh, fake news, and suddenly they can do fact checks against everything, and automatically it's correct. It doesn't seem like a very reliable source to say, hey, we're the ones that you can't trust in the first place, but now we're telling you what's right and what's wrong. When you do a Google search for Rosemont Seneca, the very first result is a fact check from USA Today. And then another one from PolitiFact. And then there's nothing. There's no information about Rosemont Seneca on there. However, if you put the word wiki into it, the very first result is the Wikipedia article for BHR Partners, a.k.a. Rosemont Seneca. So uh, that, that USA Today, it does. there is some information on there. Dates Hunter Biden's lawyer, George Mazires, told CNN that his client was not an owner of the firm Rosemont Seneca Thornton. Hunter Biden had no interest in and was not a co-founder of Rosemont Seneca. And the claim that he was paid $3.5 million is false. According to the Wikipedia article, Rosemont Seneca is a Washington, D.C.-based investment and advisory firm founded by Devin Archer, Christopher Hines, and Hunter Biden. That's Wikipedia, which of course anybody can edit. However, the thing is, when you do a Google search for Hunter Biden, his profile pops up as a lawyer and investment advisor, which admittedly also links to Wikipedia. But at the same time, like, why would he have an email from their website if he wasn't part of Rosemont Seneca? Yeah, I see some different stuff on that. It just it seems really sketchy. This whole thing is some sketchy. But I guess back to the original point that we discussed before we started this is even with all this information, it's it's really shaky. There's a lot of questions that are to be asked there. But the big thing that we are seeing after the release of this information is censorship. And it's all of these social media platforms, all of these news platforms are trying to prevent the spread of this information. And whether it's right or wrong, it, it's still censorship, and it's something that you know we're used to seeing in another country like China, where the government or the state controls you know what information is released or what's right or what's wrong. And how is it that Facebook or Twitter can go and state, hey, this is right or this is wrong, because they have these supposed fact checkers? But the, the problem is, is the information is never made public to us. It's just those opinions. You know, if you scroll through Google at the same time, you get all these these fact check websites, and they say there's no information or there's no data or no information that suggests that this is this is true this is false so it's automatically deemed as false you know how how do they know that if that information's not been made public you know we we don't have access to the hard drive of this laptop so you know we can't go through snooping through it and see hey you know this doesn't look like this was linked to anybody real this is all made up uh, if that data is not available to the public how are, is it how is it that these uh these media sites are able to state it's false and then control the flow of that that's it's definite censorship something that we disagree with adamantly and that's the thing too like when it comes to biden they'll censor anybody who is releasing this article because they support that it's fake news but when people release smear articles 
about Trump, they act like nothing even happened. And the biggest thing that people are trying to use for the fact check is simply, in my opinion, the, the Biden campaign denying that it happened. That's all I can really seem to find, is that people were reaching out to the Biden campaign, they denied that it happened, so all of a sudden, fake news? I guess if you're a Democrat, that's how it works when the mainstream media is completely simping for you at any given time. Basically, and we have Trump who was impeached and he states it was wrong or he, he didn't do this. And yeah, it's it's definitely true because it's a claim against Trump. And though he said no, if it, I mean, if all that we need to say is no, why doesn't it work both ways? Very good question. But as far as Twitter's fascist approach to censorship, it doesn't matter who they go after. We've seen them before suspend the president's Twitter account. We've seen it before. That's the big thing that led to the discussions about Section 230 protections for large social media platforms like Facebook and Twitter. Now they have gone after the press secretary, Kaylee McEnany, who also had her account suspended from Twitter for sharing this New York Post article. They have also suspended the New York Post's account for sharing their own article, which is absolutely crazy. It goes even wider than that. Facebook had been called out a few years ago because there was direct evidence that it would take any content that was conservative information and it would censor it. So uh, their algorithm would remove it from your feed if it was determined that it was conservative in nature at all. Which is all the more reason alt-tech platforms are so important for us as individuals to use. But aside from that, Twitter... Facebook, they, they know no bounds. They think that they own the world. And yes, it is a private platform owned by a private company, but they're taking advantage of protections that are given to public bulletins. And they are not moderating content like public bulletins. They're moderating content like a private platform where you can only say what Papa Dorsey says is okay for you to say. And Trump is very much aware of this. Recently, I believe it was Wednesday or Thursday of this week, at Trump's campaign rally in North Carolina, he went after Twitter and Facebook again, and he is issuing threats to their Section 230 protections. So Section 230 says that as a public bulletin, these companies cannot be held liable for what their users post in any way. They can't be sued for any kind of defamation, but when they start censoring content like that, and all of a sudden certain people on certain sides are the only ones getting affected, it just doesn't seem like a public platform anymore. And I really hope they do go through with it. Getting rid of Section 230 protections would just be so absolutely fantastic for people like us. Just to watch those enormous companies in Silicon Valley squirm at all the lawsuits they're going to get into. And I know that there's people just waiting for that to happen, specifically so they can sue those companies. And that will be a glorious day. The the thing that I would state that I, I really disagree with that is, um, and it's going to sound funny, was, was Craigslist, for example. Uh, they ended up removing their entire, I think it was uh, personal connections, I think is what it's referred to, just because of that, because they were concerned that something could happen on there and they would be held liable for it. But I, I don't really care about that so much as the implications to you know, freedom of speech are, are definitely going to be damaged through that. Then they're going to start filtering and controlling things even more. So I don't, I don't think that's the accurate or the best way to go about them. That'll, that'll be damaging to us and our ability to use these platforms. So we can't say what we think or what we feel. Uh, because the company's going to be like, well, we're going to be held liable for it. So we're going to start controlling what things that you can say and 
and and it'll it'll just make things worse. I do think though, they act as a news entity, and as a news entity, they attempt to control other people's you know release of that same news. Like that that doesn't seem right. It seems like censorship in in the fullest way, and that's what we're trying to work against is censorship. Let me just backtrack a second here and uh, speak once again in the defense of removing the Section 230 protections. Once they start doing that, wouldn't you imagine that there would be mass exoduses off the platform? There might be. I don't think most people will have any clue what what 230 really means for them um, and how it protects them. And if and that's the other issue is we're going to be stripping it specifically from these few groups. Uh, it's targeted in the wrong way. I think that instead of removing protections, I think they need to create bills that state, "Hey, this company isn't allowed to remove things that they disagree with." Uh, fundamentally, like if it's going to be an open platform and people are able to post their thoughts and opinions. They can't just filter one side of those unless that's specifically what that website is used for. So if it's classified or categorized as this open forum, this you know thing that's open for everybody to share their position, and then they go and they control what information is shared, it, you know, it strips freedom of speech. And, and we already know that Facebook and Twitter are not about freedom of speech in the slightest, but I don't think that that's the correct way to go about that. I think that just puts other people in danger well, my thought was, once they get opened up to lawsuits, they're not going to just be able to police what they want. Because all of a sudden, their pro-Antifa shit is going to start bringing them in lawsuits, so they're just going to have to censor across the board. And when you ban that many accounts, all of a sudden, you're losing ad revenue. You're losing the thing that keeps you afloat. In which case, they would have to plead with Congress or with whomever to get their protections back and agree to a some sort of non-censorship clause. Maybe, but I also don't see Trump, you know, going back on that. Once he's opened the floodgates, he'll leave it open just to let the, the damage rain. And it, it puts people like you and I in danger, because especially with how Sue Happy today is, you know, you say something on there and someone classifies it as hate speech, because pretty much anything's hate speech now that disagrees with someone else's opinion. And, and you and I have a lawsuit over something that's completely trivial or you know, nonsensical. It doesn't end up protecting us and freedom of speech. And I think that's that's the point that really needs to be made here is they're going after freedom of speech. They're implementing policies that, you know, mimic communism. They, they mimic a, a dictatorship state. And that's what we want to discourage, not by taking away the rights and protections of the user, which in the long run, that's really what 230 does is it prevents a company from going in there and just removing everything that they think is a threat they shouldn't they shouldn't be removing stuff they should even if we don't agree with it even if it's antifa that stuff should be public and then we know who's saying that stuff we can see who has those thoughts and those beliefs and you know they can be targeted specifically not not so much the company but if the company is going to go in there and just remove or pick and choose the things that they don't agree with if there's no legal issues there so like if it's child porn sure they should be removing that they should be reporting it but when it comes to this political stuff it's just hey, we don't agree with your ideals and beliefs, and we think this is a danger to our favorite candidate, so we are going to filter it. Sounds to me like at that point, people would just find a different platform. 
because 230 is is platform specific you know it's it's certain companies status they're not getting rid of 230 so you could say take your business from something stupid like twitter over to some of the other options like mines or gab or parlor and their populations could effectively skyrocket in the process because everybody's leaving twitter because now they're showing who they really are because they're scared maybe i don't i don't see too many people leaving because of that the big concern for me is that opens a precedence that in the future presidents or or political parties can make these threats to these companies and then it's just it's going to reverse control that flow uh, or they're just going to become extremely censorship happy and nobody gets a voice everybody is stripped of their views or opinions or statements what if Biden gets elected and suddenly, you know, he does the same thing in reverse? That, that'd be an extremely scary process. He could essentially shut down all free speech that we have because the Internet is, is our modern device for free speech. It is our, our journalism. It's our press. It's everything. There's got to be a better way to, to go about this. I wonder what that would be. I feel like a law would be a good place to start. Companies, you know, are held to laws much more than the individuals, it seems like. Hunter Biden and and Joe Biden being a great example of that. But uh, a company is monitored pretty closely by everybody. There's watchdog groups and all sorts of people trying to pay attention to what their actions are. And so if there's a law that shows, hey, you, you can't be filtering and you can't be trying to make it, you know, skewed to one opinion, you know, that's... It, it equates to censorship, and it really should. It shouldn't. They shouldn't be able to determine who gets to say what, even if it's not something they necessarily agree with. But unfortunately, Trump has made that a double-edged sword with this fake news thing. I, but there's there's got to be something better than trying to strip away the, the protections that ultimately, you know, keep the user, uh, you know, expressing their thoughts. Oh, an, an article was just released two days ago, and. Uh, yesterday by many different news agencies, including Vox, The Washington Post, and The Hollywood Reporter. So Trump's FCC is going to attempt to clarify Section 230 protections. Section 230 became effective in 1996 and is designed to shield interactive computer service providers from liability for comments posted by third parties on their platforms. Critics of Section 230, including President Trump, have argued that this gives big tech like Facebook and Google too much power and allows them to censor what's posted on their sites without recourse. It seems to be the opposite to me. Like it would, to me, say you would censor less because uh, you know they're not held liable to it. They're not under threat of legal recourse. Or you or I saying, "Hey, we support Trump," and someone else saying, "Well, that's racist." You would think, you would think in any, like, realistic, common sense-based society that they would just pretty much let everything go. Everything that wasn't, you know, directly illegal. You would think that being indemnified from lawsuit from it would, they, it would just be like the Wild West. Like it used to be. Once upon a time, the slogan of Twitter was, believing in freedom of speech. Once upon a time. But then... When communist ideals and radical left take over companies, all of a sudden, virtue signaling and being politically correct becomes more important than having legitimately free speech. We've talked about this, but I, I see this being the complete opposite. I don't think that it gives companies too much power. I think it ends up protecting the user's ability to speak in the end, you know, by 
making that company not feel afraid of what the user is saying. And now it seems more the issue is that, you know, the, the companies are, are going in reverse. They, instead of not fearing what their users are stating, they're not, fe- they're, they're fearing it, but not in a legal sense. They're fearing it because it disagrees with what they feel with. So instead of this being a public platform, like it is advertised as, it's advertised as this, this space where you can go and, and present your thoughts, your ideas, your daily life. It's becoming this place where the company is trying to push their motives, their ideals. And 230 protects us, I think. I don't think it protects the company as much as us. So I, I do think there needs to be some other way to go after them for this. The text of the law, it doesn't protect us as at all because we can still get sued personally for what we post. The only people who can't get sued is the platform. But why should the platform be sued for what you or I say? Like that's, it's again, that's passing off the blame, which our society is really good at. Why are we passing off the blame for what you or I say? Like, you know, if, if your kids were to go and say something, why should you be sued or why should you be damaged for it? So it's, it's the same with these companies. Um, you know, if you're acting on behalf of Facebook, if you're a Facebook employee and then you say Facebook states, you know, you should never vote for Trump, then sure. you. You as the company and the individual should both be opened up to be sued at that point. Why on earth is it that we're trying to punish the company for for what though? Like who are we going to sue here? How does how does that protect or help or serve anybody in the situation? It just seems like it's going to cause a whole lot of damage. It looks like the FCC is intending to make a new rulemaking to clarify Section 230. The FCC chair, uh, Ajit Pai, claims that there's bipartisan uh, support to reform the law. So nobody can really figure out what to do because I just don't think you can really stop Twitter from doing it. I guess making some kind of legislation that that legitimately says, no, you can't. But I I guess the question would be is, how legal is that to tell a company that you can't do something on your own private server? Well, I, I think that that's how we work on how we classify these places because they're obviously becoming sources of news. So it's a, it's a news agency at that point. It's not even as much social media anymore. You know, they, they post the news of their own. They post what are facts. They have fact checkers that, that state what you post is right or wrong. That's news. That's a, that is a news organization through and through. They're stating, here's what's going on in the world. Here's what we think. Here's what you need to believe. So they need to not be classified as these social media platforms any longer, but as news agencies. And, and there needs to be separation. So user-based content should be completely separate from the company's agenda so legally it needs to be hey this is an individual's right to freedom of speech but the company as a whole here is trying to post information and once they're you know and and again this is going to come down to watchdogs and the government reviewing this type of information once their ideals are overriding the freedom of speech of their users you know that's when legally stuff needs to come into play that says hey you're you're performing censorship right now this is highly illegal this needs to quit the FCC is trying to make a rulemaking to interpret Section 230, but there's a lot of backlash to that. A senator from Oregon, a Democratic senator, Ron Wyden, is claiming that the FCC does not have the authority to rewrite the law, and the chairman of the FCC, or Ajit Pai, can't appoint himself commissioner of the speech police, he said on Twitter, of all things. 
and linked to a 22-page document on behalf of himself and a co-author, a former U.S. Representative Chris Cox, <laughs> Cox, that asked the commission to decline to commence a rulemaking. And it states, our intent in writing this law was to keep the FCC out of the business of regulating websites, content moderation policies, and the content of speech on the internet. The petition asks the commission to reverse more than two decades of its own policy by becoming at this late stage in the life of Section 230, its regulatory interpreter. To reach this perverse result, the FCC would clarify the words of Section 230 in ways that do violence to the plain meaning of the statutory text. Yeah, whether it's... It's through this. And again, I think the FCC is right to state that it's not their place to regulate these things, that they shouldn't be involved in the legal aspects of it. I think that there should be some other agency, you know, and probably it would have to come through something like the Supreme Court that would clarify these laws or rules or create a whole new panel that does this. Um, I don't know. I see that going different directions. But, you know, the FCC's job, I don't think overlaps with controlling what people say and what people don't say. Maybe in the aspect that since it, it basically equals, uh, you know, censoring what other people put over the internet, the FCC may have that, that um, ability to control that flow of information, but I don't think that they need to go through and start filing lawsuits against people. I think that someone else should be doing that. Yeah, it's not entirely clear on which uh, which agency would regulate this uh, regulation, I guess, I suppose, would be the way to put it. Because, you know, as far as the Code of Federal Regulations is concerned in the U.S. Code, there's uh, an agency that is in charge of interpreting and making rules for for each section of the U.S. Code and, and the CFR. So, like, the EPA is in charge of making interpretations and changes to Title 40 of the Code of Federal Regulations, which is the environment. So I'm not, I'm not exactly sure where this fits, if, if it's even in the Code of Regulations, or whether it's just part of the U.S. Code. It's just one of those things, man. You're not going to stop Twitter easily because they've got a huge agenda and they're going to push it as hard as they can. It's basically every media organization at this point uh, and all of the major social media organizations. And again, right there, media, social media, they're, they're tied together, they're synonymous. I think that's where the argument's going to come into play is uh, it, it just gets brought back to freedom of speech and to freedom of press and companies are going completely against that. That's the thing, like, fucking, fucking companies, man, you can't trust those bastards to do anything. Corporations are like the absolute scum of the earth. So what, what do you actually do? What do we fucking just have the government run social media to, to maintain? Oh, you think that the government's only ability is to ensure that uh, the individual or the user don't get limited by these corporations? You know, if, if the company's whole policy is for people to have this place to spread their ideas and their beliefs and their thoughts, then the government's job is to prevent that company from, and it, and it really is, it's, it's the global source of information. So to prevent that company from limiting or controlling people's ideas and beliefs. What's to stop them from changing their policy? Why can't they just change their, their policy from being a, a free speech platform to a... Uh, radical left platform. Well, if that's the case, then you know they'll state that, and they, you know, it needs to be made clear that that's what's going on. You know, if it's a forum for liberals, then it needs to state forum for liberals, and we're going to delete your ideas if it's otherwise. But that also needs to be made really clear in the in the user agreement. That needs to be made clear in 
information about that website. You know, they can't go and state, hey, everybody's free to say what they want here. We believe in freedom of speech. And then they prevent that very act. I mean, they could always, and, and most companies do, they put a clause in their terms of service that says that, uh, you know, they're very, like, open clauses that say that they can moderate content based on what is what is deemed appropriate for their content or what is, you know, a, a family-friendly content. And then at, at that point, everything is just open to interpretation, just like it is on YouTube. Again, so that it needs to come down to the law needs to identify what is protected speech and what is against a, a company's specific policies or beliefs. And I, and I think it really just needs to come down to um, preventing a bias if it's classified as an open forum or a news or a media organization. And I think in this case, Facebook and Twitter are both very justifiably deemable as news uh, platforms, in which case it comes down to censorship. And, it, and, and we look at that on both of them, there are built-in news sources, there's built-in fact checkers. So they are very much trying to control what people think or feel and then present it as fact. And so if they're going to present something as a fact, then they're a news organization. It's not like a, it's not labeled as a history organization. They're not writing about something in the past. They're trying to control the current flow of events. And they're trying to control who's elected and not elected. It's just like Hollywood, but, you know, those are people expressing their freedom of speech. Why is it that the everyday user is suddenly getting censored? Have you seen any, like, legitimate first-party actual news being posted by by Twitter that doesn't just link to an actual news agency. Uh, I don't really use Twitter a lot. I know that there is a, a news section on there, but if they if they post a very specific news organizations and it you know it's the information that they present paints those organizations in a certain light or that that information is correct. You know they're they're basically filtering that system. I know that Facebook does because it's got its built-in fact checkers, and that to me, that states that that's a news organization. If you have a fact checker, and then you're trying to control what is spread currently, then that's you know that's news. In which case, there are there are regulations about that. So maybe it's just how we classify these entities that needs to be changed. That's the whole concept of Section 230. Uh, Ajit Pai said in a uh, statement this last Thursday that. Uh, Social media companies have a First Amendment right to free speech, but they don't have a First Amendment right to special immunity denied to other media outlets like newspapers and broadcasters. So newspapers, broadcasters, news agencies are definitely regulated differently than places like Facebook and Twitter. Yeah, I just, I I think maybe a new category or a new classification needs to be designed and amended to that and maybe special protections are put in place so the average user shouldn't shouldn't be punished for their thoughts or beliefs because you know you're not going out and you are not signing up with a press badge but the company is and that's where the danger comes in is is they need to not be protected from what they do their actions as a as a corporate entity whereas the user should be protected because that's a free speech outlet so uh, you know, it'd be like if you write to a newspaper, you know, they had comments from our readers and you go to the back and you're not going to get sued for a comments for our readers section because you, you know, broke laws as a press agent because it's just a comment. It's a form in the back of the newspaper. However, if the first page of that article, you know, is some slanderous or, or libel statement, then that newspaper is going to get sued for it. And the newspaper is probably going to pass that down to the person who wrote it and the editor and so on and so forth. So I think that those um, 
those classifications need to be made. The protections still need to be in place for the user and the company. The company shouldn't be held liable for what a random user says, but it should be held liable for an employee and the company as a whole. I guess we'll just have to wait and see what exactly happens with the FCC and their interpretation of Section 230 protections and exactly what happens to our society our social media society with Twitter and Facebook and YouTube and Twitch and, and all these different platforms who just love to just whip out the ban hammer for little to no reason. It's just incredible. Such is the world that we live in. But I digress. I'd like to thank everybody who showed up to listen to today's episode for being here, making it through to the end, if you did make it through to the end. And don't forget to follow us on whatever platform you like to listen to podcasts on. We're on Anchor, Breaker, Google Podcasts, Apple Podcasts, Overcast, Pocket Casts, Radio Public, and Spotify. And if you feel like it, go ahead and head over to our social media pages where we promise we will try not to get censored. We're on Facebook. We're on Twitter, Parlor, and eventually we'll get on Minds and Gab. But as of right now, it's just a big three. Also, if you're interested, we upload, um, well, I'd like to call it video versions, but they're not necessarily video. They're just the audio with a picture. If you don't like using podcast platforms, but you have a YouTube or a BitChute account, feel free to follow us there instead, where you get the entire podcast uploaded the same day. Subscribe to us on there. Give us a like. Leave your comments in any comment section that you can find. Leave us a comment on Facebook. Send us a DM or add us on Twitter or Parlor. I'd love to hear what our audience has to say. Tell me anything. Tell me about our audio quality. Tell me about the quality of our conversations. Tell me that you don't like me. Tell B minus that you don't like him and that he sucks. Please. Anything that you could think of. I am totally 100% open to constructive criticism, comments, questions. We also have a special button on our Anchor page. You go to anchor.fm slash aggregate latte. Go to our homepage on Anchor. There's a little button for you to leave us a voice message. Go ahead, leave us a voice message. You could get featured in an episode of the podcast. Voice messages can include anything. Ask me a question. Leave a comment. Suggest a topic for us to cover. If it's cool. I'll feature you in the podcast. So again, ladies and gentlemen, thank you so much for tuning in to the third ever episode of the brand new Aggregate Latte podcast. I'm your host, Ricky Leone, coming to you, not live, from my closet studio, signing off. (laughs) 